Good to see you tonight. Let's go to Esther chapter 7, shall we? We'll pick up where we left off in our series through this most unique book in our Bible, which is teaching us of God's providence. Very long story short, most of the Jews are in Persian exile because they chose not to return to Jerusalem after the Persians defeated the Babylonians and Cyrus released them to go and restore and build uh, the city. And Ahasuerus is now the king over the Persian Empire. And through an ungodly process, Esther is now the queen. Esther, a Jewess. Ahasuerus has promoted a man named Haman to the role of what we would call the prime minister. And with his position, the king, uh, he has the king's ring, and so he's issued an order that uh, all the, the Jews be killed in 11 months, all because he could not stand the fact that Mordecai the Jew would not bow to him. Because the king had ordered for whenever Haman passes through the king's gate, all the king's servants are to bow and to reverence Haman, which Mordecai had refused to do, and who happens to be the uncle of Esther. And so he issues this genocidal decree that throughout all 127 provinces, uh, they can not only kill the Jews, they can also take of their possessions. And once a decree is issued in Persia, it can't be revoked. <laughs> Good law, amen? I mean, how, how stupid is that? Um, Mordecai tells Esther she has to do something. I'm paraphrasing. And he tells her to go in before the king, make a petition for the people. And he famously said, And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Well, no one can go in before the king uninvited, not even the king's wife. And she's risking her life by, by doing that. And by the way, she hasn't been called into his presence for 30 days. And so it doesn't look good, but she says, let's fast for three days, and if I perish, I perish. After their fast, God moved the heart of the king, and Ahasuerus showed her favor. And he says, what wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee uh, to the half of the kingdom. She doesn't give her petition. Seems like a good opportunity, but she, she passes. She says, well, come to a banquet today that I have prepared for you, and I'll tell you then. And so at the banquet, um, she also invites Haman, by the way. And so at the banquet, she is asked by the king again, what is thy petition, and it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. And she says, my request, my petition and my request is, if I have found favor in thy sight of the king, and if it please the king, grant my petition and to perform my request and come to another banquet tomorrow. <laughs> and so even though everything looked favorable, she pulls up short. Seems odd, doesn't it? He had obviously favored her, but she doesn't say her petition. But don't forget, it's God's providence at work behind the scenes. Haman leaves the banquet. He's excited. He's been invited to this exclusive banquet with the king and the queen. And then as he's leaving, his excitement is changed as he sees Mordecai still not bowing before him. And this infuriates him so much that he tells his wife how none of the successes in his life, not even his family, avails him anything so long as he sees Mordecai the Jew. Wow. Well, Haman's wife and friends, they, they advise him, build gallows 75 feet high and impale Mordecai on there, hang him on there. 
And then they said, then you can go merrily into the banquet with the king. How twisted is, are these people? The plan pleases Haman, and that night he has the gallows prepared. The next morning he wants to be the first in the office, and he will be, to discuss with the king how he wants to have Mordecai killed. But something else was happening that night. Amen? The king was not allowed to sleep. God had taken that from him for a very specific purpose on that night. We preached about that. With the king not being able to fall asleep, we saw that out of all that could have been called by the king, he calls for a book. Out of all the books that could have been called, he calls for the records of the Chronicles. (laughs) Boring. And then out of all they could have read in the Chronicles... (laughs) They just just happened, quote, to read the account where Mordecai saved his life but was not rewarded for it. So the king said, well, what's been done for Mordecai? And the servants of the king say, nothing's been done for him. So upon hearing that, the king now wants to remedy this immediately. He's excited to do something for Mordecai. So he says, who's in the court? Well, guess who's the first one there? Haman. So Haman's ready to go in there and talk to him about killing Mordecai and the king invites him in and he says, what should I do to the man that I want to honor and that I delight in? Haman thinks it's him, right? I mean, he's been invited to this banquet, which remember to me that seemed odd that he was invited in the first place, but now we can kind of see the wisdom of it. And so sure enough, he thinks it's him. He says, well, bring the royal, the king's royal apparel, bring his crown, put it upon the man you want to honor, put him on your horse and then parade him through the city and say, this is what shall be done to the man the king desires to honor. Wouldn't you love to have been there when the king said, that's a great idea. Go do that right away for Mordecai the Jew. (laughs) Oh, man. Because (laughs) Haman's the one that's got to array Mordecai in the royal apparel. (laughs) Then parade him through the city and honor this man that he wants dead. What What a turn of events. Well, naturally, that was difficult for Haman. Right, He covers his head in shame. We'll see his head's covered again tonight. But he covers his head in shame and he runs to his house. And he, back with his wife and friends who are are called the wise men there. And they tell him, they don't tell him to kill Mordecai anymore. They say, if Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shall surely fall before him. Well, that's a nice how do you do. You told me to kill this man, and now you're saying this man's going to be my downfall. But before Haman can process any of that, as they were speaking to him, before he could devise a plan, before he could come up with an escape plan or something, the king's chamberlains come in and they hurriedly take Haman and say, we got to get to the banquet that Esther's prepared. And so he's, he's hurried off to this banquet. I think he probably felt better at that point that, no, I'm still good. We don't know. We're not told. But uh, So he's hurried to the banquet. This brings us back up to chapter 7 where we left off last week. We considered the first six verses of this chapter, which are occurring at the second banquet that Esther is hosting. For a third time now, the king tells Esther, what is thy petition, Queen Esther, and it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. And now the time has come that Esther is going to give her petition to the king. And essentially she says, let my life be spared. 
and then let the, my people be spared. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish, which was the language that Haman had put in his decree. And the king understandably wants some answers. Amen. Somebody messes with your wife, I hope you want to get to the bottom of what's going on. And so his, his wife's life is threatened, and he wants some answers. He asks Esther, who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And I don't know how you see it in your mind's eye, but here's Esther, Ahasuerus, and Haman all right there. And I can see her turning and looking at Haman and pointing her finger at Haman and saying, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Boom. Good night. Talk about courageous, amen. She paints quite a picture in that one powerful statement. She labels Haman as an adversary, as an enemy, and a wicked man. She doesn't shy away from how she wants Ahasuerus to view this man. And it's perfect timing. Whether she intended it that way or not, she's done a masterful job of striking the right tone at the right time. And I've cited it several times while we were in chapter 6. I might have even mentioned it last week. But let's not forget the proverb. Proverbs 27.1 Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. <laughs> Just the night before, Haman is thinking he has it all figured out. He has the gallows built. He has his speech ready to give to the king to justify Mordecai's death. He seems... He sees himself as one that is worthy of the king's honor. He's second in command in the empire. And it all comes crashing down the next day. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. We left off last week at the end of verse 6 where we read, Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. It's interesting. Haman is now terrified of a Jew. The very people that he's issued the, de the decree to kill. And it's just a, a great sight to, to picture. This is a woman of the very people he wants to kill. Remember early on how Mordecai had told Esther, don't reveal your identity as a Jew. Well, that wasn't, a, that wasn't right. Remember, if you are concealing your identity as a Jew, you're concealing who you worship who you're supposed to worship, which is God, right? Just like if you cower in fear that you're a Christian, you're concealing the fact that you don't want people to know who your God is. And he should have, he should have counseled her differently. But there's, there's no way Mordecai I could have known this was coming down the road, right, four years later. There's no way he could have known that. And so it wasn't wisdom on his part, but God... In his wisdom and providence, used this to his advantage. And I do not say this for you to think everything will be fine if you make a blunder of everything. And that you just cower in fear or whatever. But I say this so you can see how far ahead our God is of his enemies. He's far ahead. He's not just one step ahead. He knows the end from the beginning. And so he's not going to allow his enemies to prevent the fulfillment of his word. And his word said, 
there would be a lion of the tribe of Judah. And so Haman's not going to be allowed to destroy the Jews, Judah, those of Judea, because God had a purpose. Amen. And so that's how God operates, and I've highlighted that throughout this. It's not that they deserved it, it's that God's Word demanded it. Because God keeps His promises. And we know Haman would have never issued his decree had he known the queen was a Jew. But now that he finds out she's Jewish, he knows he's in deep trouble. And for tonight, it's only going to get worse for Haman. Now, we're not going to read ahead. Let's take these verses one at a time. We can watch this unfold tonight, okay? Look at verse 7. So here we are. Esther has said, it's this wicked Haman. Haman's afraid. Verse 7, And the king, arising from the banquet of wine, in his wrath went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. So you may recall early on in this study, there were two common themes within this empire. Drunkenness and wrath. It's a deadly combination. Though we can assume he's been drinking, we aren't told that he's drunk here. But we do see again the wrath of this man flare up in an instant. He's got a lot to process here. But he doesn't seek for any clarification. He doesn't attempt to calmly work through any of this. But he gets up in his wrath and he storms away into the palace garden. And for any of you who are parents, for any of you who have people come to you with issues, I'd like to give you a verse which has helped me immensely throughout my ministry. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Take the time to gather all the information you can before drawing any conclusions or making any definitive decisions. Listen, you're not wise to just run with one person's position. There are two sides to everything. And you'll, you'll usually learn there is more that meets the eye upon hearing one person's side of things. I'm not suggesting Haman was justified in any way whatsoever. Don't take that away from this. But I am just using this text to give you a principle in how we ought to respond. And I'm not justifying Ahasuerus being out of control. But I'll say this, for a man that was so unpredictable while angry, I'll say he's doing a good job by at least leaving the area and hopefully wanting to try to cool down, or at least that's how it seems. And if you are one here tonight that battles anger flare-ups and have a difficult time responding in the heat of the moment, then a good practice would be to excuse yourself in order to compose yourself before you do something you end up regretting. Remember, this, this whole thing kicks off because Ahasuerus, in, in the heat of the moment, divorces Vashti and banishes her from the king, or the, uh, his presence. And then he comes back from his campaign three years later and he remembers Vashti. It's too late. You already messed it up because you couldn't control your temper. Amen. And so now he's at least, he's at least excusing himself to hopefully get himself under control and, and there's, there's always wisdom in slowing down in a heated situation. Amen. And hopefully in time, you'll just learn to keep yourself under control at all times and not even have to excuse yourself. Amen. 
I think of how God came to Adam and Eve after they sinned. He came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He did not respond to them in His sore displeasure, though He would have been justified because He's God. He calmly comes to them, calling out to them. God did not act hastily, but He set the example of how to respond in very difficult situations. And it's often a good practice to sleep on things when you're all stirred up. You don't always need to make a decision right away. Amen? Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 9.11, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Slow down. Get under control and be wise. Now, with that being said, there are situations that have to be dealt with in a timely manner. This is one of those situations that needs to be handled sooner than later. And that's why we ought to ultimately learn just to stay calm at all times. So this situation here, it can't wait till morning in my opinion. This is one of those issues where something needs to be done today. Unfortunately, Ahasuerus has never learned to rule himself well. Proverbs 25, 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. In other words, you leave yourself vulnerable when you are out of control, when, when you let your emotions take over. We see next that while the king excuses himself for a moment to the palace garden, Haman now stands up to plead for his life to Esther the queen. And he does so because he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. <laughs> Haman knows the king's anger is directed at him. Verse 8. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the, in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now we're not told how much time has elapsed since the king has excused himself and come back in. But during that time, which it seems like would be a short period of time, but during that time of the king's absence, Haman has gone from standing before Esther and pleading for his life to falling before her, pleading for his life. Because Haman knows any chance of his life being spared is going to have to come from Esther. The king's out of control, man. He's, he's unpredictable. And so any chance is through Esther, a Jew. <laughs> this is not a good situation. Sorry, I shouldn't chuckle, I guess. But it... So here he is. He, he's now begging her for his life to be spared. He's now in the hands of the very people he's seeking to kill. Revelation 3.9 says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Psalm 49.14 says of those who are like Haman, Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. And the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. <laughs> what a great thought. We win in the end. Somebody say amen. The day is coming when those who don't like the saints of God, those who despise God's church, that they will look to those very same saints 
in the day of their trouble. That day is coming. Our Lord said so. Matthew 25, verses 5 through 9, While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so. The day's coming that this scene is going to be played out on the world stage. The rich man in hell, he, he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send who? Send Lazarus, the man that he despised. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So Haman, being beside himself in fear, has now fallen before the queen. He's likely taking hold of her feet or something of that fashion because that would have been customary to plead for your life in humble subjection. But in doing this, he has fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Now the bed here is not a bed that you sleep in. Right? This would be like a couch. Hey, my God. In those days, you would recline when you eat, much like we all do in front of the, the idol of the TV, amen? I'm not knocking it, that's how I roll, but, um, you know. So they're all kicked back, and they're, they're eating. And remember, you know, John, he was reclining on the bosom of Jesus uh, there in John 13 at that supper. And so that was customary, to, to have these kind of couches, beds, if you will, that you could recline on as you're enjoying your meal. And so the sight of seeing Haman upon the bed where Esther was and the knowledge that Haman has issued a decree decree against the Jews and the fact that the king was a hasty man, this has led Ahasuerus to conclude, Haman's now trying to force himself upon my wife and defile her. And the king makes that statement out loud. He's in a rage, if you can picture this. I can, I can see him turning the corner, seeing this scene, not even asking what's going on because he's not under control. And he just immediately jumps to this conclusion of what Haman's intent is. And as he says, as he says, as he said this out loud, it says, as the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. This was a customary practice to, if the king was mad at anybody, you cover his face. I don't want to look at him. Amen. I do that to Adrian all the time. Um, I'm only teasing. Lighten up. It was customary. Look, don't, the king's upset. He doesn't want to see this man cover his face. But it also was a death sentence. This man will not see the light of day. So he's a dead man at this point. And they, they cover his face. And I want you to notice, I thought this was a pretty neat thought. Notice how in tune the king's servants are with the king. The king didn't have to order them to do this. They just cover his face immediately. Because they knew what to do. You with me? They knew by his tone. They knew by his words. And they acted immediately. As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. 
Shouldn't we, as our king's servants, know exactly what is expected of us? Should, shouldn't we understand His Word and respond accordingly and immediately? There should be no room for doubt. As we're faced with situations out there in the world, we should know what to do. We should read the demeanor of our king, if you will. We should know what pleases him and what displeases him. And the things which displease him, we should figuratively cover the face of it. Amen. For the king's sake and for ours. But unfortunately, we often act like we don't know what to do. Or we just refuse to deal with it after a manner befitting of our king. We often claim ignorance. Sometimes we admit to rebellion. But how often do we respond to the king's word immediately? Hebrews 5 verses 12 through 14. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We should know our king's word well enough that we can discern right away What's good and what's evil? Amen. We shouldn't have to be taught over and over again. We need to grow up. We need to mature as servants of our King. We must be skillful in the word of righteousness. Stop making excuses. Quit trying to find loopholes. Well, I've already thought it. Might as well do it. Quit trying to find loopholes with everything. Let's move on to verse 9. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. Do you get the impression that Harbona is not going to lose any sleep if, more, if uh, Haman's put to death? I mean, <laughs> I do. Harbona, he knows Haman's fate is sealed, so he informs the king, Hey king, you know what Haman did last night? He erected gallows to kill Mordecai, the man who saved your life, that you just honored today. I have a suspicion, I know those are dangerous, but I have a suspicion the king feels Haman's trying to overthrow him. Haman already had the king's ring that gave him the power of a, of a king. The king thought Haman was trying to force his wife. Remember that Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel as an act to show that the kingdom was his. And now the king knows Haman was trying to kill the man that saved the king's life. I mean, you start putting this all together, and I think the king's going, good night, man. You've been going behind my back trying to take the kingdom? We don't know if the king knew if Haman felt he was the one that was going to be honored or not. 
But it does stand to reason that kings in those days, and we can read our own kings and chronicles and know that um, many of them had to constantly look over their shoulder, being fearful that their life's going to be taken. Whatever the king concluded, he says to Harbona about Haman at the end of verse 9, hang him there on. Proverbs 14.35 teaches us that the king's favor is towards a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causeth shame. Proverbs 19.12, the king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. Proverbs 29.26, many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. We talked about the king's favor last week, and now we see the king's wrath. And all of this is trans, that's transpiring will be favor towards the Jews and wrath upon Haman. And, I, and I, wanted, I wanted to read that last proverb to you so that you understand that what's happening to Haman here is ultimately judgment from the Lord. The Lord's in control of this. And that's what Proverbs 29, 26 says. But every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. And we see the principle of Haman's judgment in Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Haman's chickens are coming home to roost. And so we read in verse 10, So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. David prayed concerning the wicked in Psalm 28, verses 4 and 5. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them after the work of their hands. Render to them their desert. Because they regard not the works of the Lord nor the operation of His hands, He shall destroy them and not build them up. Psalm 9, verses 15 and 16. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which He executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of His own hands. And that's certainly clear here of Haman. Psalm 35, verses 7 and 8. For without cause have they hid from me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares and... Let his net that he hath hid catch himself. Into that very destruction, let him fall. And so Haman here, he is caught in his own pit that he's dug for Mordecai. And according to his wicked endeavor against the Jews, he's now met his end. And finally, we read that the king's wrath was pacified. Now, there's one last thought I want to leave you with tonight. Haman has to endure the wrath of the king because there's no one to intercede for him. His wife, his wise men have already foretold of his downfall and they seemingly have no concern for Haman. I mean, that's just how it comes across. I'm sure there's feelings there. But Haman stands with no interceder and no one to take his place. And the day's coming, either when we die or our king of kings returns, that the Lord is going to execute His wrath against all the ungodly. And His wrath will be satisfied. We may not have committed Haman's sin, but we all deserve death and hell for sinning against God. And because we all have sinned, our only hope was if one who would live a sinless life 
and would take our place and pay our sin debt with perfect blood. This is exactly what Christ did for us. If you've accepted Christ's death in your place, then you will have the assurance that God's wrath was satisfied in Christ when He laid upon Him the iniquity of us all as He suffered upon the cross. And then you can experience the peace that when you... When your time comes to stand before God, that He'll see the blood of Christ. He'll see the robe of Christ's righteousness on you. And God will declare you redeemed. Listen, God will declare you justified. You already are, if you're in Christ. And then you will know you have been accepted in the beloved. So, as we close, have you accepted the free gift of God's salvation through Christ's sacrifice. Say, come on, preachers, Wednesday night. You know, we've had Wednesday night people get saved. Or are you still leaning unto your own understanding? And we need to be ready. The day of our Lord's wrath is at hand. Either accept Christ's payment or suffer the wrath of the King. So if anybody here doesn't know Christ, you need to get that settled tonight. Let's pray.